Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate yeah. to that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. There's one thing mums are pretty bad at, generally speaking. It's putting themselves first. Yet time and time again, we're told that in order to look after others, we need to first look after ourselves. Dr. Oscar Serilac has worked in many different fields in medicine, from psychiatry, Aboriginal men's health, nutritional medicine and herbalism. But these days, he concentrates on something he calls postnatal depletion, which sounds a lot to me like what happens to mothers when they put themselves last. But to explain more about what this condition is, he joins us from the phone in America, and you will notice he is Australian, not American. He's actually on a tour for his book, which is called The Postnatal Depletion Cure, A Complete Guide to Rebuilding Your Health and Reclaiming Your Energy for Mothers of Newborns, Toddlers and Young Children. Hi, Oscar. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. What is postnatal depletion? So postnatal depletion is a syndrome, so that's a a set of or a collection of symptoms and signs uh, that can occur in the months or even years after uh, the birth of a child. Sometimes it can occur after the second or third birth, so not after the the first birth of a child. And there are a lot of physical symptoms associated with that, particularly fatigue uh, and loss of libido, not feeling refreshed in the morning, a common sort of physical symptoms. And then there's a whole host of emotional and sort of mental health symptoms, including uh, hypervigilance, uh, easily becoming overwhelmed if there are too many sort of uh, decisions to be made, um, loss of confidence, you know, confusion, poor concentration and memory. So one of the things that can often happen is a peculiar um, symptom called nominal aphasia, and mums would know this really well. It's forgetting the names of things. And so it's poor mums having to say to themselves, oh, could you please pass the thingy so I can plug it into the thingy? You know, this is just... <laughs> and, and, and it's a real thing that mothers experience. If it's a short-term, brief set of symptoms, it's not a big deal, but these things can be ongoing and last for months, if not years after the birth of a baby. And it's, you, know, you mentioned sort of mothers not putting themselves first. And, you know, I, I really want to sort of look into that a little bit more. There's some interesting things to sort of talk about there. But when you look at it, you know, we as a society are having babies later. So in Australia, the average age of a mother having their first baby is 30.9 years. So it's an older mother already in a pre-depleted state going into pregnancy then you have the demands of pregnancy itself in terms of the changes to a woman's body. You know, a woman gets a, a literal hardwire uh, upgrade to her brain uh, in terms of new neurons being sort of put down, huge hormonal changes that sort of occur, and then all the demands of creating a baby, birthing a baby, breastfeeding a baby, and then the sleep deprivation. So you know, the average mother has... 700 hours of uh, lost sleep in the first year. That's the average mother. So, you know, I'd hate to see what's happening at the end of the spectrum for those poor mums who are losing more sleep than that. And and then you have the change of life direction. You know, our society isn't great at allowing mothers to really recover. They expect mothers to sort of turn up to work or to life pretty much straight after a child. And 
Um, one of the interesting things, you know, there's just a very recent study showing that mum gets new neurons in a part of her brain called the hypothalamus, uh, which is in the centre of the brain, and that's to do with motivation. So you know, mums tend to be very motivated. Part of that is they're very motivated to help everyone around them, including you know, their child and their doing for others. And it's interesting that the brain almost forgets to do for oneself. It's not necessarily just a, you know, I think there is a biological reason uh, for why mothers aren't great at self-care. And I see so many mothers sort of struggling. They're not getting into their routines. They don't have their practices. They don't have any time of creativity. They even kind of skip meals or eat baby's leftovers and you know, and, and that doesn't constitute a meal. And I, I, so a lot of you know, my coaching with mums is about just giving permission to um, to allow self-care and to, uh, to have time for oneself or time for, for, for one's creativity and then how do you actually program in that into a already overbooked and overloaded uh, sort of timetable, as it were, especially one that's quite unpredictable. So it's a challenge. Every mother looks a little bit different what that sort of looks like, but I, I really think that's part of the long-term game of recovery is uh, really helping getting those practices in place. Oscar, do you think then that this um, syndrome, this postnatal depletion syndrome you're talking about, is it a product of the modern world or do you think there's always been an element of this in mothering a child? Well, I definitely think it is much more common nowadays. And one of the first things that I started looking at when I was doing my research was going, well, has it been a historical thing? Has it happened in the past, going back 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years? And I think what, when you look at postpartum practices, so these are practices done by traditional cultures, they really allow four to six weeks of deep relaxation for the mother to recover physically and to recover hormonally. So what I mean by that is when a mother is pregnant, she has a huge amount of hormones in her system that are made by the placenta. A woman's estrogen goes up 30 times above baseline, progesterone goes up 10 times above Baseline and cortisol, you know, the stress and response hormone goes up three times above baseline. They're just some of the 200 hormones that the placenta makes. Um, once the placenta is delivered, uh, those hormones aren't there. And so a mother's body has to start to make some of those hormones. And so that's part of why it's so important to have that sort of deep rest and relaxation for that first uh, four to six weeks if you're able to get it after the birth of a child. If that doesn't happen and the body's hormonally stressed, I think that kind of paves the way to getting uh, depleted uh, postnatally. So, yeah, so answering your question, the potential's always been there, uh, but in our modern society with all the stressors, with all the 24-7 social media and the expectation that mothers can do it all with you know, next to no support... Um, I think it's much more common than, it, than it's ever been, even going back to our parents' generation or our grandparents where there was more social support and more uh, downtime, as it were. 
You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Oscar Serilak. He has written a book called The Postnatal Depletion Cure, A Complete Guide to Rebuilding Your Health and Reclaiming Your Energy for Mothers of Newborns, Toddlers and Young Children. And um, Oscar's talking about postnatal depletion being a syndrome that can last not just um, immediately after the birth of the child when you're not getting any sleep, but long after that because of certain recoveries that don't happen after you've had the child. Oscar, what is the difference between postnatal depression and postnatal depletion? Uh, Good question. So depression is a mental uh, health disorder, whereas within postnatal depression you can have depressive symptoms, but it's just a mental health symptom. Uh, And with depletion you often have fatigue as a really big symptom within that. With depression you may not may or may not have fatigue. And a couple of the really differentiating uh, factors that I think are just good to sort of name, a woman who has postnatal depression uh, will often experience what they call middle insomnia, and that is waking up in the middle of the night and being awake for hours. So if you're very tired or trying to recover, you know, the natural response will be you'll sleep through the night and you'll want to sleep as much as you can during the day. So this waking up during the night is a real um, potential sign that you have this mental health disorder called depression. Uh, And the other, I think, really important thing is just a fluctuation of symptoms. So a woman with depletion may have symptoms of of feeling depressed or feeling blue, but they come and go and she will have time where she actually feels really good about life. The mother with postnatal depression doesn't have that sense that at at its core, life is okay, uh, and that they're feeling the symptoms 24-7. That's one of the really important sort of differentiations. But, you know, you're right, there is a lot of uh, overlap. I'm sure a lot of people uh, go from depletion into depression. It's not something that's been well studied, and unfortunately the science around the postnatal period is very, very limited. But um, I'm certainly not the only one talking about the change and and gathering information on on this topic. What role do fathers play in helping a mother regain her balance after childbirth? That's a great question. And I think there are lots of of levels to that. So, um, And we're in a bit of an artificial situation for most families where the father or other partner in the relationship, they're in a nuclear family. And so there isn't the extended family and lots of support. And so the other caregiver or the father has a lot of responsibility. And so I find it it's a very uneven playing field in that regard where um, and there's almost too much on the mother, too much on the father to, to the mathematics to work out easily. But what I tell uh, dads is that their role has changed dramatically. Uh, and to not even necessarily expect the previous life that they've had with their partner. They're actually going into a state of mature love with their partner, explain these changes that that is occurring to the mother's body and mind and try to, so at least acknowledging the changing landscapes, I think a really important part to it. Uh, And also about the idea of just being in service and doing what's right you know, always thinking about what's best for the situation, not necessarily what's best for me or for you or for the, or for the relationship, but what is best for this for the situation. And so sometimes that is having to be quite selfless, working long hours. Sometimes it is having to 
do activities or jobs that you're not particularly sort of used to or comfortable with. But I think at its core, it's trying to keep connection and communication open, uh, knowing that the time for spontaneous romance is not likely to happen, in, you know, especially when the first sort of three to five years uh, after the birth of a child. So it's, it's, you almost have to plan that time for connection and for intimacy. And uh, yeah, just to sort of get used to the new landscape because you can't, even if you want it to be different, it's very hard to sort of get back to the previous dynamic of the relationship. So it's a big question. It's a question that I really like. I love talking to my dad about about this. Again, it has to be pitched to where that man is at and where the relationship is at as well. And what and I find a lot of men just unfortunately have to spend a lot more time at work just to make ends meet, especially if... Previously, both partners were working at a time when ideally the dad should be at home as much as possible. He's at work, no much more than is ideal. So this is part of this artificial sort of nuclear-based family that I think just has so much stress and potential for overwhelm. So you know, so one of the things that I really talk to mums and dads about is try to get as much support around that inner circle as you can whether it be through other dads, other mums, other families, families who've got kids older than you that can maybe give you some sage advice around what not to do, what to do, uh, babysitting. Um, you know, again, getting away from this badge of honour that you can do it all. Yeah. Uh, and I think the idea of au pairs, babysitting, outsourcing as much of, of things, whether it be cleaning nappies, whether it be getting people to help you take the garbage out, look after your garden, you know, get the car service. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is, especially early on. Uh, outsourcing as much of that as possible, I think, is really useful. People like to help and contribute, so, and sometimes yeah. it's nice for them to be given jobs, as it were. So and they like, Yeah, they like to on. be told what to do and how to help. Oscar, can I ask this finally? I know that the whole book is about this, but if you could give us your top tips on how women can rebuild their strength after birth. Yeah, so the first thing is, again, coming back to that four or six weeks of being having a very quiet recovery. That's always my goal. And if that hasn't happened or isn't able to happen, sleep is the big factor. And what I mean by that is sleep is where a lot of hormones are made. Some of these and these hormones of recovery uh, some of them are made, only made when we're asleep. And it's to try to get as many 90-minute chunks of sleep during the night as a mother can and then to micro-nap during the day, 15 minutes uh, at a time if you can. If you sleep longer than that, it can affect how you go to sleep at night time. I find a lot of my mothers, once the baby's asleep, they've got a couple of golden hours where they can do stuff for themselves. If you're feeling really shattered, overwhelmed, that couple of golden hours isn't worth it. Go to bed as early as you can. So sleep is one of those non-negotiable things. Then you know, the next thing I kind of talk about is things that will help a mother against the effects of overwhelm and sleep deprivation. So these are what I call restorative practices. And they include restorative herbs. Ashwagandha from the Ayurvedic tradition is my favorite. There are several others, but I think seeing a good naturopath or herbalist can really help with that. Restorative acupuncture, so this from traditional Chinese medicine, can be spectacular in helping mothers feel better within their fatigue and within their depletion. And then other restorative practices like restorative yoga. You know, if a mother can do that a one-hour class of that weekly, it can make huge changes to how her recovery speed, as it were. 
I will look at sort of supplements and some other things that are not crucial, but it can be very helpful to sort of speed the process up. One of the ones that I don't even test for blood levels of omega-3 fatty acids anymore is a omega-3 called DHA. So it comes from either algae or fish. Fish don't make it. Fish eat things that eat the algae. So this is a very specific type of omega-3. And you know, the average mum you know, has that 800 grams of the stuff in her brain, in her spinal cord. Now, during pregnancy, she'll lose 5% of her brain volume, mainly due to DHA. She'll get lots of new neurons, but to help speed up the recovery, feeding back the nervous system in the brain, this DHA uh, can be sort of very useful. So I'll often recommend mums will take uh, 1.5 grams of DHA daily for at least three months postnatally, and if they're breastfeeding, even going to higher doses. Not a huge amount of research done in this area, but it, what research there is is, is showing that it's, it's likely to be very beneficial. And I see it just helping speed up the recovery process in my postnatal mums all the time. Mm. But you know, there are other, and then you know, I really recommend mothers you know, see a good functional practitioner or naturopath to have a look at their iron levels, their zinc levels, uh, look at hormone health, specifically thyroid, testosterone, DHEA. Um, and then you know, other things like vitamin D and vitamin B12 can sort of be useful, especially if they're very low. They're easy things to fix, easy things to help make mm. a, uh, a mum feel better sooner. So it's a multi-sort of leveled answer to your question. Yes, um, and, we, and we don't want to give them everything, Oscar, because they need to get your book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a bit of a minefield as well. Once you know, and, and, and no, I really appreciate that a lot of my mums have baby brain or quite fatigued or don't have a lot of time to read through stuff. So, yeah. um, so I've tried to make the book as accessible and as simple as possible. Um, there's even a six-week accelerated plan at the back of the book which talks about you know, if you don't have time to read the book, just do that six weeks, it's going to help. Uh, and then you can actually refer back to specific parts of the book if you sort of need to. Well, and, and there's a whole section about um, creativity, relationship health, um, because what I find a lot of my mums want to really get into at the end of feeling better is actually getting into healthy home, healthy family, healthy relationship. If you're feeling fatigued, baby-brained and overwhelmed, it's very hard to even look at these things. And mums get overwhelmed with, oh, my God, what toothpaste my kids use, my shampoo, cleaning products, you know, the healthy kitchen. It's just you know, trying to feed my family good food when you can't even remember what you did an hour ago is a challenge. So I really feel for my mums uh, in that way. But this is part of the long-term game. It's not just about feeling better. It's about you know, being the, the mum that you really want to be. So well, it's probably going to be my my next book as a working at <laughs> Healthy Home, Healthy Family. All right. Well, um, Oscar, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm, there's a lot there, but there's also, of course, a lot in the book. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks very much, Yvonne. That's Dr. Oscar Serilac, and he's the author of The Postnatal Depletion Cure, a complete guide to rebuilding your health and reclaiming your energy for mothers of newborns, toddlers, and young children. And we'll pop a link up to it on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.